Hey guys, I'm Pastor Jason Shirley. I'm the associate pastor right here at Word of Life Church in Carlsbad, New Mexico. And I'm really excited that you have joined us today online. Just a couple of things. I want you to drop us a line if you're watching wherever in the world and let us know where you're watching from. We would love to hear from you. Second, if you want to partner with us today in a financial way, then you can give by texting 84321 and just text your amount, or you can go to our website, wolcarlsbad.com, and you can click the Give tab and give that way. The last thing today is that if you have any needs or anything like that that we can partner with you on, then drop us a line and send us that, and we're going to partner with you in prayer. I believe today is going to be a wonderful day. I want you to open up your heart to receive from the Word of God today and always remember that God is madly in love with you. Let's get to the service. We've been talking about influence. And, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the things that comes to my mind, you know, when it comes to, to Father's Day is the influence that a father has on their child. And, uh, you know, it's, it's important, vital, I should say, that, uh, uh, that the influence that we're having is, is the right influence, you know. And uh, uh, as I was meditating on this yesterday and, and uh, uh, just mulling over some things in my spirit, the the Spirit of God began to speak to me about uh, some things that I've been sharing with you, and, and I, I believe that I started sharing these things in 2014. It's kind of hard for me to believe that it was that long ago. Um, I, I would not have guessed that it was that long ago, but as I began to look back through some notes, uh, it, it seems that that's about when it was, was 2014. And uh, uh, I began to share some things with you about seven mountains of influence. And, uh, uh, you know, one of the things is that, uh, let me just kind of preface this by, by beginning with the story that I... Um, that I shared as I started talking about this all those years ago. And uh, I, I got a hold of a, uh, of a book and began to read, and I've read several things since then. Uh, but there were two well-known Christian leaders. One was uh, uh, by the name of Bill Bright, who was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. And the other was, uh, was Lauren Cunningham, who was the, um, the founder of um, Youth with a Mission. And uh, these two men were getting ready to meet one another for lunch. They lived in different locations, and they were getting ready to meet up and have lunch together. And they were, the, the previous night before they were to have lunch, they were each praying about the, the lunch meeting that they were going to have. And as they were praying, the, the Spirit of God gave both of them exactly the same word to give to the other one. And uh, uh, so as they met up and they each shared what God had put in their hearts to, to share with the other, it was, 
that if we are going to reach our world for Christ, we're going to have to reach these seven mountains of influence. Or we, uh, uh, and those include, um, you know, the, the mountain of, of uh, uh, family and government and education, arts and entertainment, media, economy, and, uh, and I, every time I go through those, I always miss one and I, uh, because I don't know which one I missed. But uh, um, the, let's see, uh, I said spirituality is the one I missed that time. Okay. So these seven mountains of influence. And uh, as a church, and this is something that I shared all those years ago, that the church has said, uh, well, spirituality, maybe family, you know, those, those are our mountains. And the rest, the, the devil can have the rest. We, we gave them to the devil. And uh, uh, the, the thing is that these seven mountains of influence, they're, they're the realms of influence, and these seven things affect the lives of every single person on the planet. You know, uh, in, in some way or another. How many of you are, you know, you're affected by the economy? Okay. Uh, about five of you. You know, the rest of you, the economy has no effect on your life. You're amazing. Uh, but, uh, you know, how many of you are affected by what happens in government? You know? We, we should, it's okay to respond. It's, you know, that's, that's why I ask these questions, is, is to get a response. I, you know, um, we're all affected by, um, you know, e even, we, we could even say we're all affected by arts and entertainment. Or some have called it the, the mountain of celebration. Uh, you know, we all have little catchphrases that we say that came from the entertainment industry. We hum songs, we sing along, we turn on the radio, we hear a song that, uh, um, you know, that we all know because we're familiar with it because it's, you know, it's something that, that we're all affected by it in some way or another. And, uh, but the thing is, the Bible tells us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all of the people that dwell therein. It's all the Lord's. All belongs to him. And so every single one of these mountains of influence, these realms of influence, uh, they, they all belong to the Lord. But here's what we did. We said, well, politics is dirty business, so the devil can have that one. There have been churches that have taught that a Christian should never run for political office uh, because that's dirty business. Well, you know, well, a Christian shouldn't be in the entertainment industry because that's, you know, that's perverted business. And, and a Christian should never, so, so we don't want that one. Christians shouldn't have anything to do with that one. We've all said, uh, or, or we've, we've heard people said, or Christians have said that 
uh, you know, education. Well, they're teaching things in our schools, and we don't agree with the way the schools are going, so therefore Christians shouldn't have anything to do with that. And You know, honestly, if you don't agree with it, that's even more reason for you to have something to do with it, right? Okay? And so uh, we have taken these things, and we said the devil can have these things because those, you know, that's not something a Christian should be involved with. And, uh, you know, spirituality, well, you know, or religion, that, that one's ours. We'll take that one, and maybe we'll take the family too. But the devil can have the rest of them. But here's what Jesus said. Jesus said that if you, um, if, if you take that which is holy, holy just simply means that it is separated to God for God's use. Separated to God. And so he said if you take that which is holy or that which belongs to God and you give it to dogs, he says they'll turn on you and trample you underfoot. And so um, what we have done is we have taken the things that God clearly said, the earth is the Lord's and all the fullness of it. And all of the people that dwell therein. So in other words, he's saying it's all mine. Every bit of it, every single, all seven of the mountains, they're all mine. And I want them all. But we have said we don't want these, so we gave them to the devil. And he has done exactly what Jesus said he would do. He, he has taken these things and... and uh, when we give these things to unbelievers, it's essentially saying that, you know, you take them, you do with them as you please, and they have taken these things and used them to, to turn on us and trample us underfoot. But God is saying to us today, I want them all back. I want every one of them back. And, you know, God's not ever willing to concede anything to the devil. Never. He will not concede anything to the devil. That's why he sent Jesus to the cross, because he was not willing to concede you to the devil. Praise God. Never has been, never will be. And so um, what we see in these seven mountains of influence, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk particularly today about this one called family, and more specifically about fathers, but here's something that, that, I, that the Spirit of God began to drop into my heart yesterday, and I, I heard this in my spirit. He said, I'm not looking for fathers, I'm looking for forefathers. Now, I knew what he was talking about, and so I'll explain to you what he was saying when, when he said that to me. He said, I'm looking for forefathers. Forefather, you know, we think of forefathers as being the founders of something, the initiators of, of a movement or uh, 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 a certain um, doctrinal position or, you know, the, the founders of something. And so we've talked about, 
you know, or we, we think of forefathers as, as that's what a forefather is. And so that's what I was thinking as the Spirit of God dropped this into my heart. I'm looking for forefathers. And the, the thing that I began to prophesy to you a few years ago was that God is doing a new thing in the earth. He's doing a new thing, and he's going to do some things that we've never seen before. And the, the next revival period that we are coming into, and we are in the beginning, early stages of it, this revival period is not going to look like anything that we've ever seen before. We say the word revival. Most of you in, in here today, you hear the word revival you immediately have an image of something in your mind. If you're, a, if you're from a churched kind of, of background, it depends on what particular uh, uh, part of the church, what particular upbringing you're from or where, where your background has been. But if, if church has been your background, you hear the word revival, you think of something that you know about. And of course, depending on what we know about, we all come from different places and we've heard about different things, but we know about certain things. And so, when, you know, it's, it's like the old saying that if I say the word dog, the mental image you get is of your dog because that's the one you're familiar with. So you get this image in your mind. And so when we say revival, it is nonetheless this, this, the same principle that you begin to think of something you're familiar with. And so well, there's been a lot of talk in, in recent years about America needs a revival. Our world needs a revival. The church needs a revival. And, and we talk about revival. And every one of us, because of what we have in our mind of what a revival is, we all, you know, I mean, I grew up in a, in a church where uh, a couple of times a year we would have a revival. And what that meant to to us in, in those circles was it meant we brought in a traveling ministry and they would come in and for a week, sometimes, you know, uh, e even two weeks and, you know, typically nowadays it's less than that. Sometimes it's more like three days or something, but, um, and, but, but we, we had a revival and this and an evangelist would come in and we would hold services every night uh, for you know three five seven 14 days whatever and uh, you know and it was a time when we would all come and we would go out of the revival charged up that was the idea that we would be uh, spiritually charged up and so others have this in mind, you know, maybe maybe you came from the tent revivals, where someone would come to town, set up a tent, and do do services in a in a tent, and uh, you know we knew those as tent revivals, and there's some some very well known uh, uh, ministers of the gospel that uh, uh, really became well known because of their tent revivals. Oral Roberts was one that uh, uh, in the early days of his ministry, he had a tent 
and set up a big tent and brought, you know, crowds of people would come in and, and uh, you know, had healing revivals. And so this was a revival in which, or a, a series of meetings in which the emphasis was on healing. And so there, there have been various forms of revival. So when we mention revival, everybody's got their idea of what that means and what, it's gonna, what it looks like. And uh, uh, then there came out of that a term, the revivalist. And that was talking about the, the ministers that, or, or the evangelists that were involved in the revivals. And, uh, uh, but we've all had this in mind, and the Spirit of God began to say to me that I'm going to do something brand new that you've never seen before, and you, and you can't even understand it because you can't, it doesn't relate to anything you've ever seen. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to do a, a brand new thing. And in doing this brand new thing, he is looking for people who will be the forefathers of this new thing that he's doing. And, uh, uh, you know, those that will rise to the forefront. And let me just tell you this. Every revival of the past just, you know, if you look back at the history and study church history and the revivals of the past, they have all been marked by, uh, by specific individuals that became the face of the revival, so to speak. And, uh, you know, we, we talk about the, the healing revivals. Well, Oral Roberts, we mentioned him earlier, was one of the faces of the healing revivals. Uh, and, uh, you know, the various revivals, they've all had individuals that be became the, uh, for lack of a better word, and I don't mean this in a, in a derogatory way at all, but they almost became the superstar of the revival. And, uh, you know, they, they became, became the face of, of the revival. But here's the thing that I begin to hear the Spirit of God saying. This next move of God that we are in the early stages of right now, this next move of God is not going to be marked by superstars, but this next move of God is going to be marked by the church rising up and being the church. Praise God. One person got it that that was a, a good amen spot. Yeah, okay. Or one amen. But you see, it's going to be marked by common, everyday, ordinary people rising up and doing what the church was intended to do. Why did God, why, why in the past has he used individuals to become the face of a movement, to become the, the, uh, the, the superstar of a movement because the church wouldn't do it? 
That was never his plan in the first place, but he had a job. See, this is the character of, of, of Father God, that when he needs to get something done, he's going to get it done. And if it don't go according to his original plan, he knows what to do to get the job done. Now, some of us need to learn that lesson, that when everything doesn't fall into place the way we think it ought to, we just give up and quit. Instead, you know, we need to learn a lesson from our Father God that, uh, that we can be, you know, uh, whatever it takes to get the job done, we're going to get it done. Praise God. But God is saying that in this next outpouring or revival or move or whatever we want to call it, I don't even really know what to call it. Honestly, that's why I'm using all these different terms because I don't know the correct term for what God is doing, but it is going to be marked by people that you would never expect. The person sitting next to you or the person sitting across the room from you or the person that you... you uh, go to work with the you know it's going to be marked by the least likely people rising up and doing what Jesus said believers would do he said the works that I do shall you do also and greater works than these because I go to the father that's what Jesus said and so this next revival or move of God is going to be marked by people just believing that they can do what God said they could do. Praise God. And you watch it begin to happen. There's not going, to, there, there are going to be some leaders. There always needs to be some leaders in the church, you know. Um, but it's not going to be the kind of thing that we that we have seen in times past. It's going to be a brand new thing that God is doing. I picked up a, uh, something that I don't, I don't know who actually uh, posted it or whatever, but it was by a, a well-known evangelist by the name of Mario Murillo. And I was reading this yesterday, and it just fit right in to to what I've been saying, and it fit right into what I'm talking to you about this morning. But he, he, he made the statement, he said, we're about to see the emerging of a new kind of leader. We're about to see the emerging of a new kind of leader. And as I read the article, and, and I'm going to give you just the gist of what he was talking about, and he was saying that this new kind of leader, he said, you know, in, in times past, when a person felt the call of God upon their life, we said, okay, you need to go to Bible school, and you need to become a pastor or an evangelist, or, you know, you need to become a, you need to be in Christian service because you feel the call of God on your life to ministry. But he said, when in reality, some of those individuals should have never gone to Bible school. Some of them should have gone to business school. Some of them should have 
began to study political science. Some of them should have gone to med school, you know. And the essence of what he was saying was, we have taken people that because they felt a call of God on their life, we thought that meant they were supposed to be in the pulpit. But here's what God is doing in this new move that we are walking into today. God is raising up people in every segment of society, every one of these seven mountains. Why? Because he wants them all back. He's not satisfied for the devil to have all of these. You know, we're going to begin to see people, and we already are. We already are seeing people in the entertainment industry, people that we never thought would be used of God, but they're being used of God. We're going to begin to see people rise up in the the area of politics that we never expected God to use, but God is going to be using them. We're going to begin to see people rise up. You know, we got school teachers that are having a huge impact on the lives of uh, of kids. We've got, um, you know, we, we, we've got people in every segment of society. We're, I believe we're going to see people that are anointed of God to make money. People that are anointed of God to begin to make vast amounts of money. Why? Why? Because do you know to get the Lord's commission done, to go into all the world and preach the gospel, you know that takes a lot of money? So we're going to see people rise up anointed of God with a special anointing to be able to make money and to operate in this realm of of finances and economy. I believe we're going to see people who are in the medical field that are going to begin to have breakthroughs. In fact, uh, you know, let me just, let me throw this out there and you can see if what I'm saying comes to pass. But I believe we're going to begin to see that that God is going to do something supernatural. I I think we're actually already seeing it. But God is going to do something supernatural with this coronavirus thing. And not just this, but in other things as well. You know, I heard a, uh, I heard a, a, a pastor prophesy that in 2020, that uh, he was talking about the year 2020 and the things we were going to see. And he began to talk about that, that we were going to see breakthroughs in the, in, in the use of light in the medical field. Now, I thought it really strange that um, about three or four days after I heard him say that, within just a few days, the president came out and said something about, you know, well, we know that ultraviolet light kills the virus. Is there some way we could put that into a person? And the media scoffed and laughed and and and, but I I I thought seems like I just heard someone prophesy this just a few days ago 
And so, you know, I'm watching that very carefully to see what happens there. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not telling you, I, I, well, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't know what's going to happen with that. But I just thought it very interesting that someone prophesies this and then the president says something about it just a few days later. And so, um, you know, with, with God doing some new things and using some people, see, here's the thing, in uh, about four years ago, I stood in the street in front of my friend's house in Guatemala, uh, in, in Quesaltenango, Guatemala, and we stood there, and I talked with my friend Terry Scott, who's going to be with the Lord. In fact, just a few days after we had this conversation, he went to be with the Lord. And uh, we, we stood there in the street in front of our friend's house in, in Quesaltenango, and, and we talked about this, and I told him then, I said, I see some things taking place, and I see a parallel between what is happening in the church and what is happening in politics. I see, I see a parallel between the two. And I see God, this was, this was uh, in 2016 when President Trump was running for office. And, uh, you know, and I, I began to talk about this. And, and we were talking about that God is doing some parallel things and he's using some people that we never thought possible for God to use. And that, that you know, they, they were saying it's impossible, this man can never be president. Well, he's president, all right? So uh, that being said, we have done the exact same thing in the church. We have said God can't use that person over there, or I'm not pointing to anybody, you know, uh, but I'm, I'm, just, I'm just pointing in general, okay? Uh, understand, I'm not pointing out anybody. But, but uh, uh, Sherelle, uh, you know, where's Sherelle? I wasn't pointing at you. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, uh, we said, well, that person over there, God can't use that person because they have this wrong and they have that wrong and they have this problem in their life and they're kind of messed up and so God can't use that person. He can't use this person. And, and yet God said to me that day, he said, don't you presume to tell me who I can and cannot use. I'll use whoever I choose to use and that's what God is doing and what we are seeing. But he's looking for people who will just rise up and say, I'm willing to change. I'm willing to do something different. I'm willing to, to adjust what I'm doing. I'm willing to, to lay aside some hindrances. You see, there are a whole lot of people who have a whole lot of excuses. And he's looking for people who will say, I'm willing to lay aside the excuses. I'm willing to change. I'm willing to, to uh, take the, the restrictions off of what I have always thought. And i got to tell you that church people are the worst I've ever seen. I will. <laughs> Church people are the worst I've ever seen, and I'll finish it now, 
of, about getting locked in on the way they think things have to be. And saying, well, it's got to be this way because that's the way we've always done it. And with that kind of a mentality, how can God ever do something new? You say, well, God doesn't do things new because God's, you know, he's, he's, he's from, from, well, everything he's ever done at one time was new. Right? I mean, you know, I asked somebody the question one time. They were talking about the good old songs. I thought, well, how old did it have to be before it became good? And if we shouldn't sing new songs, then how, how many times do you have to sing it before it ceases to be a new song? But see, we, we've gotten locked in on these things, and we said, this is the way it's got to be. The old tried and tested and proven methods, and you know, honestly, how, how long have we been working on this Great Commission thing? 2,000 years. Well, honestly, we haven't been working on it for 2,000 years. We've known about it for 2,000 years. We haven't been very seriously working on it, and we haven't gotten the job done. But we're running out of time to get the job done. So God's having to raise up some people who will say, I'm willing to change. I'm willing to be a forefather. Years ago, the Lord said this to me. He said, most of the people who are going to be your right-hand people, who are going to be your leaders, who are going to be your people that... that uh, uh, that, that rise up to the forefront are not even saved yet. Why is that? It, 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 here's the main reason for that. The main reason is most of the people that I knew who were saved were unwilling to change. That's how I'm going to have to get some people who don't. You know, I, I read a, a, a story recently about a pastor that uh, pastor was a very large church, but he his story in his book was talking about the hard time that he'd gone through with his church and all this. And he said one day he was just desperate before God. He was saying, God, where, where are the Caleb's? Where are the, 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 the men who will rise up and say, you know, I'm, I'm as well able today as I was 40 years ago? You know, and where, where are the Caleb's? And he said, little did I know God was about to bring a Caleb into my life. And he said there was a lady in his church that, that passed away, and he did the funeral for this lady. And her husband uh, had never been a churchgoer, never, never in his whole life had never gone to church. And, uh, but when he lost his wife, he started thinking about spiritual things, and he started attending church. He said shortly after he started attending church, he gave his heart to Jesus. And he said, this man was 83 years old. He'd never been in church. He said, but he, be, he came in and immediately wanted to do something, so he became a greeter at the door. And he, he, he made it his passion to make sure that everyone who walked through the doors felt welcome and went over the top to make sure of that. 
And then he said he would greet people at the door, and then he would march right down to the front of the sanctuary and sit down right in the middle of the youth group. And he said within a very short time, he became the most popular guy in our church. He said this guy did not have any preconceived ideas of what church ought to be like. He didn't care what songs they sang. He didn't have a favorite held hymn. He'd never been in church. So he had no favorite old hymns. So he wasn't limited by that. He said he didn't, you know, he didn't care what the sanctuary looked like. He had no attachment to that old stuff because he'd never been a part of it. And so he comes in and he's ready. He says, Pastor, you tell me what the vision is and we'll get it done. You see, God's looking for people, and I'm going to tell you that God is raising up the least likely people because they're willing to change. They're willing to let God use them, and they're not locked into the way they always thought things ought to be. God's looking for forefathers, fathers who will rise up and begin to take leadership positions in the body of Christ. And I'm not just talking about serving in the church. That's, let's, let's get that. See, we've got to change our thinking about some things. When we say leadership in the church, we're, you know, and, and, and we're not talking about serving in one of the positions within the church. You know, being a worship leader, or a kids teacher, or a, you know, a, a usher, or a greet, that's, you know, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who will rise up and begin to be a leader in taking the church into the world. Praise God. Praise God. You know, it has been said that, that people who come to Jesus within the first and I, I've got to close with this because I'm, I'm already over time I'm, I apologize for that but you know it, there, there's some things here that need to be said people that, that uh, they come to Jesus within the first year that they're saved they have about 20 people that Un unsafe friends, unbeliever friends that they regularly connect with and interact with, about 20. Well, after a year, in their second year of following Jesus, that number goes down to somewhere around 12. The third year of following Jesus, that number goes down to around five or six. Fourth year, fifth year, that goes down to one or two. And what we've said is, when someone comes to Jesus and gets, accepts Jesus as their Savior, we have said, well, you need to get away from your old friends because they might suck you back into the world. We're not trusting the power of God to change a person's heart. We're saying we've got to keep them away from the road. Then after they're saved for about five years, 
Then we start saying, well, why aren't you reaching your, your friends, your unsafe friends? Why aren't you reaching them for Jesus? The answer is, I don't have any unsafe friends anymore. And we're missing an opportunity. And I believe we've got to latch on to some things. We've got, I, I am calling on you today. I am asking you today, and this is not a gender thing, because when I'm saying forefathers, I'm talking about someone who will rise up and be the beginning, be, be the start of something new that God is doing. This can be, this can be uh, teenagers. This can be 83-year-old men, like the, the man that I told you about. This can be a mom, can be a single mom, it can be a grandma, it can be your kids. If they'll rise up and say, God, I'm willing to be a forefather. It's not about having a position in the church. It's about having a job to do and embracing it. I'm willing to be a leader. You see, and we've got some we've got some fathers who are not even willing to be forefathers in their family. And there are some that will never embrace what I'm saying. Some will never be forefathers. But God's taking job applications right now for forefathers. And the first question he asks you in the interview, are you willing to change? Praise God. So I'm asking you today, are you willing to change? Are you willing to be a forefather? Praise God. Are you willing to be at the forefront of what God is doing in the earth today? Praise God. You see, we got a mess you know, we see we're on a ship that's going in the wrong direction. And we have some who want to blow the ship up. Yeah. Some, some who want to just do away with the church. But then God's not, God is saying, I want you to be a rudder. That's how we're going to change the direction. I'm calling people to be rudders to turn this thing around. You see, we don't just blow the thing up because there's problems. We turn the thing around. Our world today is in desperate need of rudders. Are you willing to be a rudder? Are you willing to be a forefather? Are you willing to be at the forefront of what God is doing? And I've got to close with that. I'm going to do two things very quickly this morning. First of all, if you have never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the reason I'm doing this one first is because this is the most important. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, it will take you a matter of moments to do that. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If you want to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, 
Right now, I want you to just repeat this after me. Say, God in heaven, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for me. I believe that you then raised him from the dead so that I could have new life. I believe that what he did was enough to erase all of my sins, to pay the penalty. And I choose Jesus to be my Savior right now. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you once again for joining us today online. We value you and we want to hear from you. If you made a decision for Christ today, you can select I Choose Jesus on our website. And we've got a couple videos for you to watch so that you can get started on your walk with God. We've also got a free ebook that you can download right from our website called I Choose Jesus. And I want to encourage you to do that. Once again, thank you for joining us and remember that God is madly in love 